When the Apostle Paul said that I may know him, he was not talking about knowing him as Savior. Paul was already saved. I may know him intimately, personally, experientially. He wanted to have a more intimate, personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that your desire? It is my desire. I hope it's yours also. Uh, Before any further, I really enjoyed the revival services. We had some of the largest crowds we've ever had since I've been pastor here consistently during that week. And I hope that you're able to join us. I trust that you will follow through any decision that you made. I know I made many decisions during the invitation time. And I pray that you do the same. Though it was a lot of excitement during the revival service, I hope you will follow through. Someone said it's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk. And hopefully our walk becomes straighter and more uh, uh, godly as a result of the revival services. So thank you for coming and supporting that service. Services. This morning, I'd like to do part three and the final one on the truth about temptation. The very first message we saw from the Bible, three sources of temptation. They were the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, talking about that which we live in, Satan will use that to lure us, to draw us away from the God. The flesh is talking about our sinful nature, the Adamic nature we received in our physical birth, which you all have. But hallelujah, when we were saved, God gave us a new nature. It's called a divine nature. So as a Christian, you have two natures. You have a sinful nature and a divine nature. Both strive to control your life. And that sinful nature is called the flesh. So there's the world, the flesh, and thirdly, the devil. The devil desires to tempt you and cause you to fall away. Now, of those three, I believe the flesh has the greatest victory in our lives. And the reason why the devil, unlike God, is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. If the devil's tempting you, he can't tempt me. If he tempts me, he can't tempt you. He is not omnipresent. Also, the world which we live in, Satan uses to draw us away from God. We can escape the world. Many people, in fact, we hear about the uh, Catholic monks that go to a monastery, get away from the world. There's no worldly attraction whatsoever. So you might escape the lures of this world and get away from Satan. You cannot escape your flesh. It is part of you. It will be with you until the day you die. Now, please listen. Your flesh did not go away did not get one bit better when you were saved. It is still there. It is still active and wants to control your life. So this morning, like I talked about from the Old Testament, most of our study so far has been the New Testament, a story from the Old Testament, how to have victory over the flesh. And we have that right here in Exodus chapter 17. From this wonderful story of the Old Testament, we can learn so much how to have victory over the flesh. For example, the word Amalek. Amalek was a type, a symbol of our sinful nature of the flesh. We can learn how, to, how and when the flesh tempts us by seeing how when and Amalek attacked Israel. We can learn how to have victory over the flesh by seeing how Israel had victory over Amalek. But basically, from this story, we will learn how victory is won over the flesh. There are three things I want to cover this morning, the the main points of your outline. In your bulletin, there's an outline. I hope you take it out and fill out the notes. But look at three things, the certainty of our fight, the strategy of our foe, and the victory of our faith. So let's begin, number one, look at the certainty of our fight. Look what it says in verse 8, please, Leviticus 17, verse 8. 
It says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. The Amalekites were nomads in the desert south of Canaan. They apparently were attempting to dislodge the Israelites from this pleasant oasis and secure the territory for themselves. Now listen, please. This is not the Canaanites. This is about three months after Israel had crossed the Red Sea. They are now in the wilderness, and the first military battle happens. And these were kinfolks. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau. Have you heard of Esau before? In fact, Amalek was the grandson of Esau. What happened between Esau and Jacob? Remember, Jacob stole his birthright. And because of that, Esau hated Jacob, and all his descendants hated the Israelites. And so when they got in, they crossed the Red Sea, now in the wilderness, headed to the Promised Land, the first battle was kinfolk, their cousins, attacking them, called the Amalekites. And so basically, all Christians fight the flesh. There's not one of us that does not have the same battle today that the Israel had suffered so long ago. Now, let's talk about, first of all, the timing of the battle. The timing of the battle. First of all, if you need a chance, you can read before this. In chapter 14, we have Israel crossing the Red Sea. Remember, uh, God led them out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. They were blocked there. The Egyptian army was coming. So God parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry ground. They got to the other side. The Egyptian army followed them. And what happened? The Red Sea closed them and killed all the Egyptian army. So we had the cross in the Red Sea in chapter 14. Chapter 15, they needed water and they found water, but it was bitter. And God turned the bitter water to sweet water. Chapter 16, they were hungry. God provided manna from heaven. In chapter 17, they were thirsty. And now God provided water from a rock. And so, if you would please, back in chapter 17, back up to verse 1. Look at the background, the timing of this battle. What's going on here? In verse 1 of chapter 17, please. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin, after the journeys according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, there was no water for the people to drink. And basically, God led his people during the day by a pillar of cloud and at nighttime by a fire. And basically, he led them to this place to test them. They come there. They said there's anywhere from one to three million Israelites. They come to the place. There was no water. Verse 2. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there and for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Verse 4. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto these people? They be almost ready to stone me. Verse 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, where thou smotest the river, take it in thy hand and go. Verse 6, Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. Thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that this people may drink. And Moses did in the sight of the Lord. Two things happened before the battle began. First of all, 
The battle began after the rock was struck. Remember, they were thirsty. Moses did not know what to do. God instructed him, follow me. I'll stand upon a rock. You strike the rock. So the first thing before the battle began with Amalek, the water was struck. I'm sorry, not the water. The rock was struck. I see if you pay attention. By the way, did you know that rock was a symbol or, or a picture of Jesus Christ? Hold your finger right here, if you will, please. Go with me now to your New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, page 1612. That rock that was struck by Moses was a type of Jesus Christ. Remember, Amalek was a type of the flesh. And we can learn as Christians how to have victory over the flesh by watching how Israel had victory over Amalek. And before the battle began, in verse 8, the rock was struck. Now look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And did all drink of the same spiritual drink of that spiritual rock, for they that drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, that rock was who? Was Christ. So the context here is talking about when they were there, they were led by a pillar of cloud in the daytime, a fire at nighttime, and they crossed the Red Sea, and they come to a place, they were thirsty, and it talks about how Moses struck the rock, and the rock was Christ. Now the water that flowed out, that's the second thing that happened before the battle began, the water is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The rock was a type of Christ. The water that flowed out was a type of or a picture of the Holy Spirit. Hold your finger here in 1 Corinthians, coming back to that. Keep your finger in Exodus, we'll come back to that. John chapter 7, please. John chapter 7, page 1498. John chapter 7. So before the battle ever began, the rock was struck and water came out. The rock was a picture, a type of Jesus Christ. And the water that flowed out was a picture, a type of the Holy Spirit. In John 7, verse 37, please. John 7, 37. He says here, and he goes on to say, he said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. With this spake he of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive. Now go back to Exodus, please. Back to Exodus. Notice here, Exodus 17, we notice in verse 6, the rock was struck, the water flowed out. Then look in verse 8, what's the first word? Then. Then came Amalek. Look where please. In our battle against the flesh, it came first when you were saved, you trusted Christ, and you received the Holy Spirit. Then the battle began. Before you were saved, there was no battle between the flesh and spirit. You did not have the spirit. All you had is the flesh, and all you did was give in to it. But in the moment you were saved, the spirit of God indwelt you, and the battle now begun. And every Christian understands that battle. In fact, it says there in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. So when you were saved, the battle began. 
The Spirit of God indwelt you, and now a battle between the flesh and the Spirit to control you. Now, if you would, please, keep your finger in Corinthians and Exodus. Go now to Romans 7, please. Romans 7. Here it talks about a war going on between the flesh and the Spirit. Romans 7, page 1589. When a person trusts Christ as a Savior and sees the Holy Spirit, the battle begins. To the Jew, when the water, when the rock was struck, the water flowed out, the battle began. Romans 7, verse 21, please. Romans 7, 21. He says there, Paul said, I find then a law. The word law talks about a principle. I find the principle that when I would do good, Evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. What is the inward man? That new nature, that divine nature. What are you saying here? Now that I'm saved, I find a principle in me. A desire to do right and a desire to do wrong. He said, I delight in God's word after that inward man, that divine nature. Part of me loves the Bible, loves the word of God. But at the same time, there's a part of me that wants to do wrong. He goes on to say, but I see another law, another principle in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Again, talking about that battle. Paul did not have the battle before he got saved. He first trusted Christ, received the Spirit of God, and the battle begun. This are lights. The rock was struck, water flowed out, then came Amalek. Let's go back to Exodus, please. The timing of the battle began once a person is saved to seize the Holy Spirit. Now, notice the length of the battle. The length. How long will this battle go on? I'm glad you asked. At least for the Israelites, Exodus 17, verse 16, please. Exodus 17, 16. For he said, because, God speaking, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from what? From generation to generation. It would not end. Look at me, please. Your battle against the flesh will not end until you go to heaven. As long as you live in this body, there's going to be a struggle. It's always there. And it's going to be there until the day you die. I'm looking forward to getting my new body one day, aren't you? No more struggle. No more fights. But until then, I have an old nature that wars against my new nature, and I'm struck right in the middle. The war with Amalek never ended. There's also a perpetual fight, a war with our foe called the flesh. Number two, we solve the certainty of our fight. Number two, the strategy of our foe. The strategy of our want to foe. I want you to see how Amalek did what he did, and then we're going to understand how the flesh works against you. First of all, Amalek attacked unexpectedly. Amalek attacked unexpectedly. It says there in verse 8, After the rock was struck, the water flowed. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. The word Rephidim means rest or place of rest. Israel just came out of Egypt, and really it was not even a time for war. These are not the Canaanites. They're trying to drive them out of the land of Canaan. It is right when Israel could say, now we just had a cool drink of water. Now we can rest and relax. Then came Amalek. He came unexpectedly. He not only came unexpectedly, 
The fight began right after a spiritual victory. Right after a spiritual victory is when the battle began. We talked about chapter 14, the cross in the Red Sea. They had a victory over the Egyptians. Then he turned bitter water to sweet water in chapter 15. Moses provided, God provided manna in verse chapter 16. Now he provides water. Your greatest vulnerable time for temptation is right after spiritual victory. By the way, right after revival. That's when temptation comes. Think of Elijah. Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? Had a tremendous victory over the prophets of Baal. In chapter 18 of 1 Kings, had a wonderful victory on the mountaintop. Chapter 19, what happened? We see him running from Jezebel for his life, and he goes out in the wilderness and prays God to take his life. Right after a great victory come temptation. Think of Jesus Christ in the wilderness. Prior to that, we saw his baptism by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit descending as a dove. The voice of God said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. After that great victory, the devil came and began to tempt him. So it's right after a spiritual victory. And by the way, again, I want to encourage you, keep that in mind. We just had a wonderful spiritual victory at First Baptist Church for the revival. God spoke to many hearts. And it'd be easy if you let your guard down. And now the flesh says, aha, after a spiritual victory. So next, the flesh, like Amalek, comes unexpectedly. Letter B, Amalek attacks indirectly. Amalek attacked indirectly. If you would please hold your finger here in Exodus. Go now to Deuteronomy, please. Chapter 25. I hope you have a Bible. If you don't have one, please use one for the service. It should be in the chair in front of you. There's either a hymnal or a Bible, a burgundy or black. The black book is a Bible. Please use that for the service. Page 320 for those using a church Bible. Notice how Amalek attacked. Very deceitful, very indirectly. In chapter 25 of Deuteronomy, verse 17, please. It says, remember what Amalek did unto thee, by the way, when you were come forth out of Egypt. How he met thee, by the way, smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou was faint and weary, and he feared not God. Notice when Amalek attacked. He attacked from behind, when you least expect it. It said, he met you by the way and smote you behind most of thee. He didn't come head on. You couldn't see him coming. He attacked from behind. Very deceitful, very mean. But also, he not only attacked from behind, he attacked when they were tired and weak. Sound familiar? He attacked when you're tired and weak. The latter part of verse 19. And even all that were feeble behind thee, even thou was faint and weary. That's when the flesh attacks. Indirectly. When you don't expect it, come from behind. And when you're feeble, weak, and weary. That's when Amalek attacks. That's when the flesh attacks. Number three. We saw the certainty of our fight. You all have a battle with the flesh. We looked at the strategy of our foe. He attacks unexpectedly and indirectly. Number three, now look at the victory of our faith. The victory of our faith. Go back to Exodus chapter 17. Look with me, please, in verse 9. 
Exodus 17, 9. After Amalek attacked, notice what Moses did. Verse 9, Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of a hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, verse 11, when Moses held up his hand, the Israelites prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Verse 12, but Moses' hands were heavy. He took a stone, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat thereupon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Do you see what God's trying to teach us here? There's a message for us here today. First of all, God said in verse 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. First of all, Israel was to remember this. Write it down. Be a moral. Remember what Amalek did. Israel was to remember it. But also the church, you and I, we are to be admonished by it and learn from it. We are to be admonished by it and learn from it. Keep your finger here in Exodus. Go me now back to the book of 1 Corinthians, please. Hope you have your finger there. Back to 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, page 1612 again. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Again, look at the context, and we're told here twice this was an example. We are to be admonished and learn from it. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. It said, verse 3, they all did eat the same spiritual meat. Talk about manna. Verse 4. They did all drink the same spiritual drink. Talk about the water from the rock. And it says in verse 6, Now these things were our what? Boy, are you quiet on me? You didn't fall asleep, did you? Look at it. Verse 6. These things are what? Examples. Skip down and please. Verse 11. Now all these things, many things happened in the woods. All these things happened unto them for an examples that they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Admonition means warning. So from that story of Amalek, God is trying to warn us how the flesh attacks. It also says, not only for our admonition, but for our learning. On the screen there, you see Romans 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, about in the Old Testament, were written for our what? Learning. So God said, I want you to listen. I want you to remember there's a message here for Christian for you that God is trying to warn you and trying to want you to learn from this. God is showing us how to have victory over the flesh. Next thing, Israel's success depended upon Moses' uplifted hands. Israel's success, go back to Leviticus, please. Israel's success, we're talking about the victory of our faith. Israel's success depended upon Moses' uplifted hand. Verse 11, 17, 11. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now, there was nothing special or miraculous about the rod. The rod was symbolic of the power of God. As he held up the rod, as long as he held it up, Israel prevailed. The rod went down, Amalek prevailed. 
It was a symbol of depending upon the God of heaven in war. As long as it's held up, they depended upon it, they prevailed. They let it down, Amalek prevailed. Though Joshua entered into the battle with zeal, the victory was secured in a unique fashion in order to demonstrate God's power. Moses holding up the staff above his head with both hands symbolized Israel's total dependence on the power of God. When Moses lowered his hands, a picture of lack of dependence, the enemy prevailed. Notice here, the uplifted hands are symbolic of prayer. The uplifted hands are symbolic of prayer. It says, show me that, Pastor. I'm glad you asked. Look on the screen, please. Psalm 28, verse 2. David said, hear the voice of my supplications. When I cry unto thee, when I lift up my hands toward the holy oracle. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I will therefore... I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up their holy hands without wrath and doubting. So the lifting of the hands was symbolic of prayer. So basically, prayer is our expression of our dependence upon God. How much do you depend upon God? How much do you pray? So basically, the rod was symbolic of God's power. Long as it's up, they prevail. That was symbolized our prayer. When we pray, we can have victory over the flesh. However... Uplifted hands are symbolic of prayer, but also his hands grew heavy. His hands grew heavy. Look in verse 12, please. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. By the way, it's easy to grow weary in prayer, is it not? You ever pray and get tired? I don't see any answers. I don't see God in anything. Why should I pray? We grow weary in prayer. Yet the Bible talks about that. Luke 18, verse 1. Jesus said, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought to always to pray and not what? Don't give up. Don't become weary. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation, for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? The flesh is not talking about your sinful nature here. How about your physically? We get tired, do we not? We pray and pray and pray. Don't see anything happen. God says, don't quit. Don't give up. Keep on praying. But notice next here, Moses was not left to himself. Moses was not left to himself. Verse 12, the latter part of verse 12, two people came alongside to help him. Who were they? Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. With the assistance of Aaron and Hur, Moses' hands remained upward, and a great victory was won. By the way, Aaron was Israel's high priest. Aaron was a type of Jesus Christ. Who is our high priest? Jesus Christ. If you don't mind, hold your finger here in Leviticus. The pastor, I just found it, and I need to turn it someplace else. Turn with me, you please, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I want to show you the Bible says Jesus Christ is our high priest, like Aaron was to the Jewish people in, of Israel. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, page 1685. Verse 14, chapter 4 of Hebrews. See and then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, who? 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our what? Don't give up. Don't faint. Keep on praying. Why? Jesus Christ, our high priest, he prays for us. You realize that? He prays. He holds up side and prays for me. Look in Hebrews 7, please. Hebrews chapter 7. Again, speaking of Jesus Christ, our high priest, Hebrews 7, verse 24. It says, verse 24, but this man, about the man Christ Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to what? Maketh intercession for Just like Aaron supported Moses to uphold him, Jesus Christ supports us, our priest, to pray for us. The next, what was the next second person? Her. Her means light. Emblem of holiness points to the Holy Spirit. Her, the word her means light. Emblem of the holiness points to the Holy Spirit. Do not turn that, be the verse be on the screen. The Holy Spirit also prays for us. Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us, groanings which cannot be uttered. Just like Moses become tired and weary and drop down the rod and the Israel began to lose. Aaron and Hur lift up his hand, held him, held him, hold him up high. We have two people along our side, the Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, come alongside us and help us to stay firm. We're talking about how to have victory over the flesh, Christian. We saw Israel's success dependent upon Moses' uplifted hands. But the next thing we need to see here, Joshua also fought Amalek with a sword. Joshua fought Amalek with a sword. Look in verse 13 of Exodus 17. It says, Joshua discomfited Amalek and the people with the edge of the sword. The sword points to the word of God. The sword points to the word of God. Ephesians 6, 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It says here, Joshua discomfited Amalek and the people. The word discomfited means to weaken. It is through prayer and the word of God that we weaken our flesh and gain victory in our daily struggles. Don't miss that. It is through prayer and the word of God we weaken the flesh and gain victory over our daily struggles. David understood this. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid my heart. Why? That I might not sin against God, thee. Basically, he took God's word, memorized it, hid in his heart that he could, not, he could have victory over sin. But I love this next verse, Psalm 37, verse 31. The law of his God is in his heart, read on, and none of his steps shall what? The word of God would keep me from backsliding in victory. The none of his steps shall slide. The word of God is the believer's best weapon to fight against the temptation of sin. Hope you remember that. But don't forget this last part. The sword points to the word of God. Joshua won the battle, but the war with Amalek was not over. Joshua won the battle, but the war with Amalek was not over. 
Look in verse 16, please, in Leviticus 17. We saw this before. He said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Listen, Christian, you may have daily victories over the flesh, but the war is not over. You had victory probably this past week in revival, my friend. The war is not over. Let me give you a little background about Amalek. Don't miss this, please. Remember, Amalek was a grandson of Esau. And there was constant conflict between the descendants of Esau and the descendants of Jacob. Because Jacob stole the birthright from Esau, there was constant battle going on. Remember King Saul? When he became king, he fought against the Amalekites. And God told him to wipe them out completely because of what they did against Israel. He disobeyed. He gathered some of the flocks and some of the animals for himself. And he left king of Amorites, Agag, alive. Remember David, when he was fleeing from Absalom, he was out and he was in the in area of Philistia. He was there and he lived in a town called Ziglag. Remember that? He went off to battle with him and his army. And guess who attacked Ziglag? The Amalekites did and took away his wife, his children, all his possessions. And David got it all back, but a constant battle with the Amalekites. How about, you ever heard of Haman and Mordecai? Now, this is 550 years later after the death of Agag. By the way, Haman was a descendant of Amalekite. Basically, there was a contest between two of them. God exalted, son of God, the king exalted Haman, to be the second one in the kingdom. And he made a decree that when anyone saw him, they had to bow down to him. And all of a sudden he comes and Mordecai sees him. What did Mordecai do? He did not bow. He stood up. And therefore, Haman sought to kill him and wipe out all of Israel. Again, a descendant of the Malachites. The battle continues on. So Christian, don't forget that. Learn from that. This past week, I'm sure you had great spiritual victory and revival, but it's not over. It's not over. The devil, the flesh, and the world, especially the flesh, will constantly attack you. So listen, let's wrap it up. We solve the certainty of our fight. You will have battle with the flesh. We looked at the strategy of our foe. The flesh attacks unexpectedly and indirectly. And lastly, we saw the victory of our faith. We can have victory over our flesh through prayer and the word of God. Now close your Bibles and look up here, please. Today, the message was for the believer, those that know Christ as Savior, those of you that understand that spiritual battle within all of us. Remember, once the rock was struck, the water flowed, then came Amalek. <laughs> once you were saved, the Holy Spirit dwelt you, then came the flesh. The flesh desires to defeat you. And through prayer and the word of God, we can have victory over the flesh. I've been talking to those who know Christ. If you're here today and you're not saved, you don't understand the battle. There's no battle within you. All you have is a desire to do wrong because you have the flesh. But however, God desires that you might go to heaven. That you might have eternal life and forgiveness of sins and salvation. And I want you to understand something about this salvation. I believe the verse will be on the screen. Look on the screen there. It says something about salvation I hope you never forget. It says, talking about Paul talking to Timothy, talking about Jesus Christ, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. What's it say now? Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, 
which hath given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Look over here, please. Here's something that's contrary to every religion in the world. Contrary to many churches, many Christian churches. Many teach salvation by our works. They teach that if you want to go to heaven, it's based upon your lifestyle, your behavior, the things you do, the things you don't do, that will get you to heaven. That is, by your good works, you can earn God's favor and merit salvation. However, that's contrary to what the Bible says. Who has saved us and called us, not according to our works. Do you understand that? Your works behavior had nothing to do with going to heaven. Now, be back up. There is a work required for salvation. But hallelujah, Jesus Christ did it to the cross. It's through his work on the cross, finished there for us. I'm going to heaven through his finished work. My part was to believe, to receive Christ. If you're here today and maybe you thought, I got to be good to go to heaven. I can't be certain about it because I don't know how good I got to be. My friend, you can be certain about it. It's not through the works you do, but rather through the work that Christ did. So salvation is not obtained by trying, but by trusting Christ. It's not obtained by doing something for the Lord, but resting upon that which the Lord's done for you. And when you trust him, he will forgive you and give you time. Isn't that great news? Amen. But listen to me, please. When you trust in the Holy Spirit comes, the war begins. <laughs> and when that comes, and so does the flesh. Every Christian understands that. But let me close with this. Have you ever personally trusted Christ? There have been a time in your life you understood that salvation is not by works. It's by God's grace through faith alone. And when you understood that, you personally trusted Christ as Savior. Remember, Paul said in Romans, whosoever shall call upon them, Lord, shall be what? And right now you can call upon him. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we conclude our service. Thank you for your attention. We're talking about the third message on the truth about temptation. And looking at the story from the Old Testament, understand how to, how to victory over the flesh. But maybe by chance you're here today and you've never personally received Christ. You always had the idea, the philosophy, the belief that salvation come by doing good things. That God would save you if you lived the right kind of life. My friend, that's totally contrary to the Bible. That's what religion teaches, not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says salvation who saved us and called us not according to our works. My friend, it's not by your works or righteousness which you have done, but according to God's mercy and save you. And he'll save you right now if you trust him. If you rely upon him for salvation, you can do it right now by simply talking to God. In your own thoughts, right where you're sitting, maybe say something like this. If you've never trusted Christ, you're not certain heaven's your home, talk to God and say something like this. Just say, dear God of heaven, I admit that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I have earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus was punished in my place. The judgment that I deserve, he took upon himself. And there on the cross, he suffered, he bled and died for my sin. He was buried and I believe he rose again. And right here today, realizing I cannot save myself. I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. My friend, did you pray that prayer? Did you trust Christ as your Savior? If you did, according to the Bible, heaven is now your home. God saves you the moment you trust him. 
Eternal life is a present possession for all who believe. But I'd like to close, possibly praying for anyone who made that decision today. So if today, the first time, you trusted Christ as your Savior, and allow me to include you in the closing prayer, I'm not going to point you out, I'm not going to put you on the spot, I'm not going to embarrass you, I just want to pray for you. And I'm going to do this with heads bowed and eyes closed. So if that made sense to you, right where you're seated, if you would indicate to me by the raise of a hand, I'd like to pray for you. If you so if you trust Christ, would you simply raise your hand so I can pray for you today? You know what all? Pastor, here's my hand. Please pray for me. I trusted Christ today. You know what all today? Father in heaven, I trust. I hope that means each one has already made that decision. If so, they understand the battle. They understand the struggle that Amalek had with Israel. And we also understand the struggle we have with the flesh. I pray, Father, we would do what Israel did to have victory over the flesh. Help us to apply what we learned today from Scripture to our daily walk with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.